Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Our series is called Promises and Power, focusing on Israel capturing the promised land, guided by their new leader, Joshua. In Joshua chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, it says, But when the people of Gideon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered sandal bags and old patched wineskins. Here we see Joshua was deceived into sparing and then protecting the lives of the Canaanites. We too can be defrauded into making a deal or forming a relationship with someone we should not. In today's episode, Deception, you'll see how Joshua handled his mistake, and you'll discover how to handle yours. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. Are you letting God lead your life right now? Which means direct your decisions and your actions. We continue our series, Promises and Power. And what that means, of course, is when we pursue the promises of God, He provides the power that we will need to fulfill His plans. Sometimes we're disappointed in God because He doesn't seem to provide all the power or the resources we need for our plans, but that's not His commitment. His commitment is to fulfill His plans, and we align with Him. Today's message is entitled, Deception. Anybody ever encountered deception? Let me see, anybody? Okay, good, yes. So this message fits a few of you, like 90%. Take out your outline. The theme taken from Joshua chapter 9, summarized or abbreviated, the people of Gibeon resorted to deception to save themselves. And deception is fraud or trickery that's used to cause someone to accept as true what is actually false. Joshua encountered deception from Israel's enemies. And we will see how he responded and learn how we should also respond when we encounter deception or when someone tries to trick or defraud us. To deal with deception, first we need to ask God. We're in Joshua chapter 9, page 186 in this Bible available here. We're going to cover 9 and parts of 10, but I will skip the long list of names and stuff like that. So you'll just have to hang on because I'm going to be abbreviating the passages that we cover. Verse one, now all the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what had happened. Verse two, these kings combined their armies to fight as one against Joshua and the Israelites. Now the reason that's worth mentioning is because these kings who were kings of individual city states, but they numbered in the thousands and tens of thousands and even larger, some of them, they usually fought among themselves. They were fighting over territory and crops and slaves and all kinds of things, but they became allied when they identified what? A common enemy. Be careful when someone starts spelling out to you a common enemy. Your antenna should go up. 
and, and start asking, what is the goal here? Verse 3, but, these, but when the people of Gibeon, Gibeon was about five miles from Ai, it was about six miles northwest of Jerusalem, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. They put on worn out patched sandals and ragged clothes, and the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. When they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. Now, they actually lived only 21 miles away. See, these Gibeonites, they are pretending to be an official delegation from a faraway nation or city, state. And they came, they, they came to meet with Joshua and the leaders of Israel. They wanted a treaty because they were afraid of what was going to happen to them. Joshua had prohibited Israel from entering into any treaty with people inside Canaan, inside the promised land. But treaties were allowed with people from outside the promised land. You can look in Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 20. Back to verse 7. The Israelites replied to these Hivites. Now, they're identified as Hivites later when this was written. Because at the time that Joshua was talking to these people from Gibeon, they didn't know they were Hivites. Gibeonites were a subgroup of the Hivite nation. And look what he asked. How do we know that you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. So they wanted what? They wanted some proof because the Hivites are listed in Deuteronomy 20 as a, a nation or a city-state, as a group that was to be completely destroyed. These people in Canaan, as I've told you before, they weren't innocent people. They had rejected God. They were idol worshipers, and they sacrificed humans, even children, to their false gods. They were an evil race, and they were told by God through Moses to eliminate them from the land. Verse 8, they replied, we are your servants. Was that a responsive answer? Joshua said, where do you live? And they answered back, we are your servants. You call that a non-responsive answer. And anytime you receive a non-responsive answer, you better pay close attention because there's a reason they are not answering your question. We've, we see that in, with uh, medical institutions today. Many of you have seen it with governmental institutions. You ask a direct, simple question and you receive a non-responsive answer. You better pay attention. But who are you, Joshua demanded. 
where do you come from? In other words, is it nearby? They answered again, your servants have come from a very distant country. Did they answer responsibly? No. They don't know what country they've come from? They don't name it though, do they? We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and of all he did in Egypt. We have also heard what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King Sihon and King Og. Now this is, this is earlier, much earlier. See, they don't mention what happened in Jericho or what happened in the city of Ai. Why not? What did you say? It It happened too recently, yes. Because it would have meant that they were from nearby and they had actually heard it. But they're claiming they lived far away, so they would not have that information. They only cite information that had happened many years earlier. So our elders, verse 11, so our elders and all our people instructed us Take supplies for a long journey. Go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. This bread was hot from the ovens when we left our homes. But now, as you can see, it's dry and moldy. Be careful when somebody gives you some misdirection. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they're old and split open. And our clothing and sandals are worn out from our very long journey. Do you think they're trying too hard to convince Joshua? They're trying much too hard. Verse 14, so the Israelites examined their food. Have you noticed when someone is trying to scam you, they want to put something in your hands? We're at home. Take it for a spin. It's the same thing. Handle this moldy bread because it gets your attention away from asking, where did you come from? How far away? It's another distraction. But here's the biggest mistake. But they did not consult the Lord. So why were they deceived, ultimately? They didn't ask God. Instead, they judged by fake appearances. Verse 15. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And then this is even worse. And the leaders of the community ratified the agreement with a binding oath. Now, were there any reasons that Joshua should have been skeptical, curious, hesitant? You see any? Now, get in the story and think about it. Okay, now this is an official delegation. They were prominent people in this town. Wouldn't they have traveled with adequate supplies? Wouldn't they have had provisions for their return home? 
Wouldn't they have had fresh bread cooked by servants, not bread that was dry and moldy? Why would you keep dry, moldy bread if not to try to use it to dissuade somebody? They would have had clean clothes for a meeting with Joshua. They have none of that. And Joshua didn't ask. If Joshua and these leaders had paused to think, if they had taken time to pray about what they saw, they would have recognized this was a trick. I always give you cross-references. I didn't cross-reference Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 today because we've used it most weeks and we've even used it for a memory verse. But as a begin, trust God. Don't rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him. He will direct your path. James 1 says, if you need wisdom, ask God. But it says... Don't vacillate because if you can't make up your mind and you want God to give you an opinion, don't expect him to tell you anything. But God will answer these requests for insight. They didn't ask. In their haste, and I'll add their self-confidence, Joshua and these leaders broke God's law and they even made a covenant with God's enemy. What was going on here? Again, this is what I think. You decide what you see in this story. I think Joshua wanted to believe them. Do you? He was so easy to fool. You know, we're most easy to fool when we want what's offered. He didn't want to fight these people, I don't think. They had come up. So, you know, it's, I, I never was in battle, but some of you have been. It's much harder to battle someone up close than at a distance because you can see them sort of objectively. You can sort of almost dehumanize them. But once they've come in that close and they're talking to you and they're appealing to you, I don't think he wanted to fight these people. I don't think he wanted to put them to death, which is what would have been required right then. So he closed his eyes from what he saw and he did not seek God for insight and direction. Have you ever done that? There was something you wanted, so you deliberately didn't ask God because you already knew what God would say, right? I think we do this at times when we want to enter a relationship. Could be a personal relationship, could be a romantic relationship, even a business relationship. And as someone that we have real questions about in terms of their spirituality, certainly their maturity, and even their ethics. But we convince ourselves to go ahead because we already want to make a, pl- make a deal, don't we? And we look away from what we see. I've seen this. I mean, I, you know, y'all know I've been here 100 years. And I've seen this arise numerous times. Someone wants a spouse, so they, they will look away from what they see. 
And in fact, if, if it's a person who wasn't going to church at all, but, but suddenly because of this relationship, they'll decide they might go to church. And that person requires almost no level of spirituality except not rejecting God in faith. And I've seen this many, many times. He said he would come to church with me. He believes in God. She, she's not against um, uh, faith. Now, do you know anybody that ever found themselves there? And they close their eyes and they stop asking questions. And they step forward. The Bible warns us. You know this. What is the warning? What does it say? Say it louder. Don't be unequally yoked. Does everybody know that passage? Well, did you remember it when you stepped into that bad arrangement? Don't be unequally yoked. That's the NIV's version. Don't team up or partner with an unbeliever. That's the new livings. But yet our world says, well, he's a good guy. What could be wrong with her? Why would you think anything's wrong with this person? I remember really many years ago, I was doing a wedding. And of course, I always ask about people's faith. And this young woman said she was a believer. Faith meant a lot to her. The man that she wanted to marry said he wasn't a believer. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't interested in that. So I said, well, I, I can't move forward in this ceremony. I said, but I will keep meeting with you if you want to ask about faith. If you want to take some steps toward faith, I'll meet with you. But we, we can't go forward with this ceremony yet. So the mother got wind of this. And, and the mother wanted me to know what a good guy he was. And she said, I still remember it clearly. Why would you say he's not a Christian? I said, I didn't say he wasn't a Christian. He said he wasn't a Christian. But I'm sure he is. I said, well, you need to take that up with him then. But this mother needed to find a bad guy in this situation. Guess who it turned out to be? Me, me. Do you delay? Do you ask God before jumping into a relationship with someone whose spiritual state is unsettled? See, we make a mistake if we think faith is, is that shallow. Being a Christian is being born again. That means you've been changed. You've been made new. It's not just that you think there might be a God and you don't oppose the Bible. And yet, sometimes our standard... is very low. To deal with deception, we must admit mistakes. Verse 16. Three days after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby. 
I wonder how. Someone probably saw something or heard something, you think? The Israelites set out at once. Oh, let me say this. But it may have been that the leaders didn't act like they wanted to hear it. You ever known that? Someone you knew had some insight into your situation, into the big deal, the relationship, the partnership, but they knew you didn't want to hear it. And they knew you wouldn't receive it. The Israelites set out at once to investigate and reached their town in their towns in three days. Verse 18. The people, but but the Israelites did not attack the towns for the Israelite leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But then look at this. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of this treaty. Why? It could be that they suspected these men were Canaanites. It could be that they tried to say something. Perhaps someone's wife told the leader, you need to look at this more closely. Look at the way they're dressed. They they don't look like us. But they probably got shut down. Now, none of you have ever been shut down in this situation, have you? You had insight, but the person that needed to hear it had no interest in hearing it at all. It may be that something like this was happening. And it might be just that they, they lost the chance to burn down these cities and take plunder. It could be just merely that. But remember, Moses had sternly warned them about these people. Don't leave them alive. Don't intermix with them. Don't worship with them. Don't get mixed up in this idolatry. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 19, but the leaders replied, since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel.